Um, we've started some really cool things like on LinkedIn, we started a tile strategy where once a week we're announcing a new customer win. Uh, we're literally, we're putting a tile up on LinkedIn. This is another great customer chooses crosscheck logo of the customer. So it's not as heavy as a traditional press release and it seems so simple, but it's repeatable. We're getting these one a week and, and frankly, it's just the response has been awesome. Right. And just from a continuity perspective, and it's a great way of, it's like a LinkedIn drip, if you will. Yeah. (laughs) Bright Ideas episode number 314. Hey, I know what'll cheer you up. Welcome to the Bright Ideas podcast, where we let proven experts help you to find the next bright idea to implement in your business today. And now here's your host, Trent Deersmith. This is unbelievable. This true force has never been fully understood. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Bread Ideas Business Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Trent Deersman, and I'm here to share with you the stories of today's most successful entrepreneurs and more importantly, to extract all the best golden nuggets that you can then implement in your business starting today. On the show with me today is a fellow by the name of Mike Fitzsimmons. Mike has a long history of creating companies that disrupt the status quo to create change that benefits consumers and businesses alike. Born out of his frustration with bad hires, Mike co-founded Crosscheck to pioneer a new category for talent acquisition that harnesses the power of people to help companies better source, match, and retain the best people. With a mission to build better businesses, Crosscheck takes a talent-first approach that prioritizes trust and transparency, minimizes bias, and protects privacy. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's uh, dive right into it. And uh, the first question I want to ask you is, what does your company do? Just in <laughs> your own words. Yeah, sure. So that was a mouthful. I appreciate, I appreciate the introduction. Uh, so Crosscheck's sort of fundamental goal in the world is to help companies and talent better match with each other. Uh, we sort of acknowledge that in, in the modern workforce, um, it's really hard to build great teams. And so all the tools that both companies can have to ensure that they're hiring the best talent, and frankly, that talent can have to ensure that the job is the best for them, uh, that there's an opportunity uh, to help both sides of that equation. So what Crosscheck has done is we basically have reinvented the traditional reference check, uh, you know, the process that has been used for decades to call mm-hmm. your, uh, your, your references to, to sort of screen you in the last stages of the hiring process to really create what we call human intelligence hiring, which is this idea of how do you get information and insights from people and put them to use for people to ensure that the company is right for the candidate and the candidate's right for the company. So think about it as a reinvented, reimagined version of the traditional uh, reference check, but done in the cloud with modern technology, data, AI, all that stuff that you'd expect out of a modern company. Okay. And to be clear, this is not a personality assessment, something like, like, for example, we use a tool called Caliper. It is not. And, and we think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in the, in the assessment space. There's a lot of stuff happening in the screening space, frankly, and innovations around things like criminal screening and whatnot. We are definitively not in those two areas. We are really in this, in this human intelligence area, which is based on this fundamental notion that getting insights from people that know you, that have worked with you, Right, and converting those into data can be really helpful to, to help make sure that the that the job and the company are well managed. Okay, so 
who would you describe as your customer? Is it the company doing the hiring or is it the employee getting hired? So it certainly is the the company doing the hiring and that's who's paying us today, right? So our, our kind of go-to-market plan has been focusing on high growth, innovative technology companies as sort of phase one um, and focusing on the heads of talent and talent groups within those organizations. So these are folks that are aggressively, you know, hiring, they're building teams that are using tools and data to do that in, in better ways. So that's absolutely the tip of the spear for us. Um, that being said, the whole technology was built to try and be as candidate friendly as possible. So hopefully candidates view us as a way to help them through the, the hiring process. And, and, and it's a net positive for the candidate, but the, the company is the, is the customer. Okay. Target market, would it be, would it be a lot of venture backed SaaS companies or do you have a specific target? Yeah, it really is in phase one. It's sort of, um, High growth tech, in almost by default, that that's venture backed. A lot of Silicon Valley. It's companies like the Upworks of the world, Eventbrite, Glassdoor, Nerd Wallets, Dialpads. Those those types of companies. Companies in the kind of cloud SaaS, you know, one hundred. Those types. That's where we sort of started. Okay. What does uh, the pricing model look like? So we price based upon an annual forecasted hiring volume uh, with some tiers based upon the size of the company, mm-hmm. um, and it's a it's a subscription, so a monthly subscription. Um, annual license, um, traditional kind of SaaS, kind of SaaS model. Yep. And so across your customer base, that turns into an average customer is paying how much per month? Um, it really does vary because of the range of the size of companies. So some of our smaller startups, it could be as little as they're paying, you know, 500, 600 bucks a month for a hundred person company that's hiring 50 people. And then you obviously get to multiples of that if you're a, um, company like Glassdoor, who's got a thousand employees, they're hiring yep. 600 as an example. Yep. Um, I'll tell you one of the, the metrics, not to get too far in the weeds quickly, that we kind of use as a benchmark in Eventbrite, which is a killer company that, that uses our, our stuff. They ran their own kind of cost benefit analysis and they just looked at the traditional cost to do a traditional reference check and kind of concluded that on average, it cost them about $185 to do it the old fashioned way, right? Picking up the mm-hmm. phones, scheduling these calls mm-hmm. and getting bad data. And that's all kinds of issues related to it. But um, on a kind of per candidate per year basis, we're south of that number. You know, we kind of at about half of that number, frankly, is the starting point, just so you can kind of get your head wrapped around yep. uh, how the pricing works. And you're helping them to achieve that savings largely because you're cutting a whole bunch of labor out of the equation, right? Yeah, there's a just an easy workflow um, yep. pitch here, which is just make this easier and faster, get better data. Then there's a whole bunch of other cool stuff that I'm sure we'll get into in terms of what the product does. But that's the that's the simple the simple argument as to why you should migrate to crosscheck from your traditional way of doing things. Okay, when did you launch? Uh, so we we raised our first round of kind of pre-seed financing in late 2017. We spent uh, most of 18 building the technology. We started, got into beta late 18 and commercialization for all intents and purposes started in the first quarter of this year. So launch in whatever terms we all use in this modern world, I sort of, you know, I don't know. I don't know that we have launched, but, <laughs> but, but, uh, but we, you know, have active customers as of kind of Jan 1 as a fair, a fair you know, start date. Okay. So when you raised the pre-seed rounds, did you rate, basically raise off a deck with no prototype at all? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. And were there pre-existing relationships that assisted in that raise? Uh, yeah, sure. And has my co-founder and I between us have invested in or started probably a dozen companies. So, and, and this one was born out of a personal experience, frankly, that he and I both had. And some of the investors that invested in this company shared that we had the same, uh, we, we had the same kind of um, scraped knees, if you will. Uh, so there was, it wasn't a hard pitch. It was a, uh, 
hey, Mike and Pete, let's go solve this, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and let's just yeah. fix this. And so that was, it was pretty, it was pretty straightforward at that stage. But we didn't really, as you know, with these things, you've done it a bunch of times, obviously, in your career. You don't know what you don't know until you get into it, yeah. right? And we didn't know at that stage what was on the other side. So pre-money valuation, when you're just got a deck and no prototype, what were you able to do? <laughs> yeah, better than I would have expected. It's, it made me laugh because my Series A and uh, two companies to go, which was the last time I'd really raised an early stage round, um, our valuation was higher in this with nothing. And that company had a million of revenue. So I was scratching my head. I'm like, this is a different, a different time. Uh, I mm-hmm. prefer not to disclose what the valuation was, but it was, uh, uh, you know. Probably more than I would have paid as a private investor, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and was it uh, traditional VC backing? Was it family offices? Was it angel money? Where'd the money come from? Yeah, it was angel money. But one of the VCs that I had worked with in the past, Bessemer Ventures, they actually have a seed fund that is a number of the partners put money into deals that Bessemer isn't going to formally do. And so they were they were kind of the lead, if you will. Um, yep. It still is angel technically, but it had a little bit of an institutional vibe to it. They also came in in our actual seed round that we did over the summer. Yep. Uh, Bessemer as a firm did, but um, okay. And did, so were they the first in the door on the pre-seed round? They were. Yeah. Did being able to drop their name help you to get others? Yeah, you know, I, I and I don't mean to. I, I, it's so hard, as we all know, to raise capital in any environment. But this was pretty straightforward. We were oversubscribed. Guys that knew us and had an appreciation for the problem. So I'm sure it helped, right? Yep. Um, um, but I, I, we would have gotten there to be, to be honest without them. Um, yep. I was pretty confident in that. Okay. Um, it certainly helped as importantly though, not flashing forward, but they were part of the formal seed round that we did with GGV capital. And, you know, you know how this goes, that Bessemer continuing to support the company after being mm-hmm. in the pre-seed that, that signal absolutely helps. You know, mm-hmm. there's no denying yeah. that. And certainly the counter signal to that can be troubling for early stage companies if they didn't come in as a follow-on, right? So <laughs> yeah. we were fortunate to not have that issue. How many customers now? Uh, so about 50. About 50? Yeah. Okay. And ARR is, off those 50 customers is roughly where? You know, we're not, you know, we, you know the game. We're not publicly disclosing that, right? But it is, you know, we're in the, we're getting into that seven-figure run rate, which is what we expect to do here. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the goal, right. In terms of the next, um, the next sort of six quarters, if you will, is to get into a healthier, a healthier, uh, version of that, but that's just kind of directional. If you, and remind, sorry, remind me how many quarters you've been acquiring customers for. You know, and as I mentioned earlier, it all gets a little fuzzy. I'll give you a little bit of our, our go-to-market where we were kind of introducing this new category, this human intelligence hiring thing, and we're walking in the door to companies who have legacy biases about the old reference check and their own processes and workflows. So our go-to-market mm-hmm. was around, hey, we'll give you 90 days free to use the software, see what you think about it, right? And mm-hmm. then start to convert those companies into paying customers. Uh, we didn't really start that conversion process, frankly, until uh, I would say kind of Q3-ish of this year. So mm-hmm. those first half, as I was mentioning, the commercialization efforts, I'm using that term a little loosely. That was, um, frankly, when we really started selling the product and, and that, that was our go-to-market. So um, so you choose your date. I would say sort of beginning of Q3 is when we really started to see folks start to cut us checks, you know, mm-hmm. and sign contracts uh, and mm-hmm. exit that sort of that sort of a proof of concept phase or that beta phase. So you've got roughly a quarter, maybe just slightly over a quarter of customer acquisition under your belt now then? Yes. 
So if you were to extrapolate that over a year, what do you think that would turn, translate into into year-over-year growth? You know, I, I what we're learning too, is, as I mentioned to you at the beginning, our focus initially on high growth sort of Silicon Valley tech also leads you to some smaller companies, even though they're growing rapidly and you're going to place bets and it's awesome to see them in the pipe. The thing that has profoundly changed already is that we're just getting, you know, we're getting at bats at, you know, more real mid market and even real enterprise and kind of strategic accounts, which is mm-hmm. exciting. So yeah. if you think about this from the perspective of, number of candidates that pass through the system. If you kind of use that as a proxy uh, to, to sort of measure growth, it'll be, you know, it'll be 10x, right? It'll be that sort of number. How that correlates into a dollar per candidate, it gets a little bit more nuanced to that front. But, um, you know, it's, it's, we love all of our partners, don't get me wrong, but you have companies that are hiring 20,000 people. So that quickly changes the <laughs> dynamic between a company hiring 10, right? It's just, yep. it's just the game. So, yeah. Okay. And folks, we're going to dive a lot more into growth strategies in segment two of the interview tomorrow. So make sure you tune in for that. Uh, what's the headcount now? Uh, 16. 16. Okay. And uh, are you able to disclose the amount raised so far? Yeah, sure. So we raised, we uh, raised about 4.3 million over the summer, um, yeah. which was the GGV investment round. We also had a uh, Clay Thompson from the Warriors was fun. He invested in the company, which was cool. And a couple of other uh, angels, Kevin and Julia Hartz, who were the co-founders of Eventbrite. Uh, Kevin's now the chairman and Julia is the CEO. So we, we brought in some other you know, good strategic investors along the way. So that was okay. the round that we did in kind of June, July timeframe. Okay. So before we get to the, fa- uh, the, uh, the fast five questions I ask at the beginning of, or rather the end of segment number one, now that we've been talking about funding for a bit, for anyone who's listening who uh, is uh, a founder and they're looking at, you know, maybe I can bootstrap for a while, but I probably am going to have to raise at some point in time. You've been doing this a while. What, what pieces, what pearls of wisdom would you share with those folks with respect to the, uh, the raise the challenge of raising capital? Yeah. I mean, we all know it's a grind. It was, it was so interesting when I was looking at my target list and reflecting on once we closed the seed round, uh, my target list of the nose, which we all have. So this is sort of post that pre seed round that I mentioned to you earlier, that was relatively easy uh, on the, in the grand scheme of things prior to our seed round. You know, I probably met with two dozen uh, investors, right, up and down, I, just to get a sense on their read on the on the on the opportunity, and and then and what what struck me from that is how much work I had to do on positioning the story, right? The game just changes as we know from the preseason. Mm-hmm. You're starting to talk to the institutions, make sure you get the story right, and then frankly dialing in on the KPIs and the milestones that mirrored that story, so the package was tight, right? When you're going yep. in to talk to for the for the seed round, and it was an amazing thing that happened. For me and for us, we had five term sheets on our seed round, way oversubscribed. It got competitive. And I've done this enough times that that doesn't always happen, right? And yeah. it, it doesn't always happen that way, right? It's, 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 uh, it's an awesome thing when it does. And I attribute that certainly to just crafting that work and that story and then making sure that data that you're, you're gathering and your proof points that you're gathering mirror the story and connecting all of those dots. So uh, I'd say that, and 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 the and and just we all know the grind aspect of it, right? Um, they are they are the number of times I got the, I'm certainly gonna, <laughs> I'm certainly think I'm gonna end up um, um, regretting this, but we're gonna we're gonna pass for X Y Z reason, right? And that sort yep. of thing. That's you know you know the game. It's all the same stuff we all deal with. 
So the deck that you used, uh, is that something that could be a PDF download in the show notes for other folks who might? Yeah, I would share it. I would, and I got it down. This is the other piece from that point. I got that thing down to 12 slides. I just, I just took out all the noise too. Right. And it just simple, simple themes and got the big messages across one of the nuance for us too. And and this is a little weedy, but it, it, it just speaks to how you have to really be hyper focused on the storytelling in those early phases you know, when we initially got into this business, you know, part of our bias was towards sort of the screen out opportunity. We came from a place where we were frustrated on the bad hire problem and, re- you know, looked back and reflected on, gosh, we made those two bad hires. How did we miss that? Right. How did we not get more data on these individuals to, to make better hires? And so the, the theme of our presentation reflected that. Right. It was it was a little bit more, frankly, almost cyber leaning. It was insider threat prevention. It was keep the bad guys out. And it was a really subtle twist that we made. And frankly, we brought on an advisor, a guy named Rusty Roof. Rusty is a killer in the HR space. He was the first independent board member at Glassdoor, chief people officer at EA, senior guy at Pepsi. He's that guy. And he just, he kind of almost just slapped us and said, you're thinking about this the wrong way, guys. The concept is great, but this is a two-sided problem. It's a two-sided equation. There's a company and there's an individual. And for this to work, you got to solve the problem of, you know, for both, for both, both yeah. sides of that equation. And it seems so subtle. Technology concept was the exact same, right? Of getting data from people about people and converting that into something actionable. But the simple positioning there of making this a company first, keep the bad guys out message to a, hey, let's help companies just build better companies, both for the company and for talent. As soon as we made that shift, right, the conversations changed. It, they really, yeah. truly did. And, and that was just, it was a great lesson for me about how just subtle and how important um, those types of things and paying attention to that, that type of stuff is. We're going to start off with customer acquisition systems. Now, I know you haven't been at this for very long, only uh, acquiring customers for less than two quarters, but let's talk about what you're doing. Yeah, sure. So from a systems or first sort of a channel strategy perspective, where do you want to start? Uh, I love me some good systems. Uh, okay, so let's yeah. start with systems. I love me some too. We're still working through what those exactly are. So we're, you know, we're Salesforce, you know, we're Salesforce HubSpot kind of a thing today. Um, and we have a handful of different email systems that we use for sort of drip campaigns and things of that nature. We're piecing all that together. HubSpot will be our, you know, will be our kind of savior. We believe we hope, uh, and we're kind of in that process now of kind of maturing the integration of all those systems. Okay. And the HubSpot that you're using, is it their marketing suite or their CRM suite? We're actually going to use both. Um, okay. We're going to use both. Just uh, we, we're, we're drinking the Kool-Aid and the ability to connect it all, we think, is we're going we're gonna to dive in and give it, a, give it a shot. Yep. Okay. And you mentioned Salesforce. I would imagine you're not going to need Salesforce if you're using both HubSpot systems. Right. That's the, you know, who knows what, that's the, that's the plan. But we are currently using Salesforce at 100%. Got it. Okay. So in terms of customer acquisition activities, um, if you're using HubSpot marketing, undoubtedly content production and SEO are probably a pretty big part of it, but I'd like to hear that from you. Yeah, it's, it's a part of it and it's definitely a, a meaningful part of it. And we're, we're, you know how this is, you're breaking into a new category, trying to establish a new software category. It's, it's hand-to-hand combat, right? So mm-hmm. There's not latent demand yet that we're trying to capture. So from a digital marketing perspective, I'll sort of take this in two buckets, um, starting with non-digital, for lack of a better term, right? So for us, non-digital marketing, um, certainly the network, number one, right, which is just having been around Silicon Valley for a couple of decades, having a network, having a board 
um, investors, a board of advisors, all those tactics, right, of surrounding yourself with people who have good relationships with decision makers, in our case, in the HR tech space. Yep. Channel number one, that's it. Full stop, no debate, that's it, right? It's getting introductions either from our folks or from people that our folks know, right? And so we sort of call that, and our attribution we have two subcategories. We have both internal relationships and then we have what we call FOC, friend of company, which mm-hmm. kind of loosely connects investors, advisors, and just friends who are making introductions or referrals. So I would say no doubt about it in that initial phase, that's the number one most important and high value channel for us um, that we have taken advantage of. The second channel for us has really been developing a channel partnership strategy. So in the HR space, there's these applicant tracking systems and various HR systems and all these different companies operate on. We've started to integrate Crosscheck into those systems and establish commercial relationships with many of those partners as mutual kind of referrers. So they identify people that are using their platforms that could benefit from Crosscheck, make that introduction, and we have a financial uh, incentive in place to help reward them for that. Mm-hmm. And that sort of thing. So that that channel partnership strategy has been extremely effective for us. And then the love, the other piece related to that is just on the customer advocacy. One of the things that we found really early. I mean, our, the NPS on this company is like a seventy eight this quarter, wow. and we have these really psyched customers that are just digging it. Right. Once we get them over the hump, so activating our customers. We put together a customer advisory board. We gave them a little bit of equity. Right. And just to be clear on that, did that all post contract, so there was no conflict of interest. I yep. gave them a little bit of equity, put together a forum for them to be influencers, to recommend this to friends, that sort of thing, or to other colleagues and other companies. So I'd sort of put those on the non-digital side of the equation, that we, tr- we track those as unique and distinct channels, mm-hmm. um, but are certainly the most powerful. They end, which we all know, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not programmatic, that's not repeatable, and it has a shelf life, and that's why you have to start building up on the, the whole digital side of the equation. So... Um, and that's where you get into the stuff, the more traditional stuff that, that we'll talk about, yeah, we'll talk about from a content marketing perspective. Um, we've started some really cool things like on LinkedIn, we started a tile strategy where once a week we're announcing a new customer win. Uh, we're literally, we're putting a tile up on LinkedIn. This is another great customer chooses crosscheck logo of the customer. So it's not as heavy as a traditional press release and it seems so simple, but it's repeatable. We're getting these one a week and, and frankly, it's just the response has been awesome. Right. And just from a continuity perspective, and it's a great way of it's like a LinkedIn drip, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Where, you know, I'd um, love to have if, if there's a screenshot or a PDF of, of one of those, I'd love to have that for the show notes as well. Absolutely. We can share that with you. Um, sure. so that's been awesome. Um, and it's just some of, some of the unique stuff we're doing. Um, these are tough buyers to find. You know, we're playing with some things around how do we identify um, HR tech buyers on LinkedIn, but get them to engage and retarget them in other social media environments like Instagram and Facebook, believe it or not. They're, it's tough. We all know the, the response rates within LinkedIn from a retarget effective are really not great, but mm-hmm. as a lead source, it's fantastic. So we're doing some cool things around that front. The traditional stuff on our drips, you know, from a prospecting perspective and um, all the all the normal stuff from an email marketing perspective, you know, sort of six touch drips that we're doing. Um, you know, from a, which, which really are, I don't know what the world thinks of those as a content marketing or what, what you call that, but that's moderately effective. Mm-hmm. Um, the area that was new to me, having not been in a software uh, showdown, was really the, the cap terrors of the world and the G2s of the world and all these sort of comparison sites yeah. that are expensive but extraordinarily effective. Um, you know, I, I, I won't name the lead because it was an enterprise lead. It was a great lead for us, and I asked them how they found us, and she said, 
well, I saw you were the number one rated reference checking software like in the world. I'm like, what? <laughs> 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 Who said that? Well, Captera said that. I was like, all right, good. <laughs> Sounds good to me, right? So I, that has been a, a surprisingly an effective channel. And then the normal from a SEM and SEO and retargeting perspective, this is all the normal stuff that we're, I would say we're checking the boxes on. I'm not sure we're doing anything uber, um, you know, uber innovative right now. Um, yeah. But, you know, small team, we're trying to figure it out. So you're planning to produce uh, a lot of content, high quality content on the on the blog or on the website and, and use SEO tactics to find your way into search? Absolutely. And, and how you activate that, even through the initial channels that I mentioned, this is where those folks can be effective and the shelf life doesn't necessarily wear off. So I'm a chief people officer at Glassdoor, one of our customers, and she becomes an advocate for us. She's a customer testimonial that we posted, reposts it right to her 1500 followers. That is just, that's worth its weight in gold, right? Yeah. You can, you can think. So yeah, we are producing better content. We just produced our first customer testimonials in the last month and published those um, with nerd wallet and Dialpad, two of our customers. We'll keep doing that. Um, we have an influencer series that on our website we publish. Uh, we're trying to get better at that. We have one coming out this week, which is just finding experts from in and around the field to do Q&A, generally speaking around topics that surround us, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're doing some news jacking with our PR folks. You know, They're working on identifying what's happening around us. That big uh, thing that came out in the last couple of days about the, well, I'm blanking on her name, but the one that had falsified her resume. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. Like those are, those are topical for us that we can jump on. Right. And kind of, kind of play that, play that game. Yep. Um, so there's two interviews that whoever on your team might enjoy that I conducted. One of them was with the CMO of Ahrefs, which is a very popular SEO tool and their blog traffic has grown exponentially against some very, very stiff competition. I'll uh, make sure that you get a link to that and I'll put it in the show notes for anyone that's listening. And then uh, just yesterday or uh, yeah, yesterday I recorded an interview with the founder of a company called Content King. The fellow's name is Vincent Van Scherpenseel. He's from over in the, uh, in uh, Europe, Western Europe. And they have had a fair amount of success with what I consider to be a pretty clever, like I've interviewed a lot of folks across my two podcasts about content marketing. I ran a content marketing agency for four years and what he's doing with their online academy, I thought was particularly clever, especially with respect to how they do their content production and promotion sprints. So I'll, again, put those links in the show notes. And of course, you'll get them before this ever goes live in case you want to have your anyone from your team listen to that. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Um, before warned, there is some uh, soft promotion of my software company, which is a, an <laughs> SOP software company. And those, because those, uh, one of them in particular, Vincent, uh, is is starting to have a pretty good look at it uh, from a partner program perspective because he really likes what we're up to. Cool. Okay. Uh, so, do you have a sense of what your blended CAC is yet? No, I, I actually don't. I know on the paid side. Um, and sure, I know is I mean, this side. is something we work through, right? And, and just in our funnel, just for whatever it's worth, what, what you know, our, the, the, the primary, the, the core KPIs we think about in terms of SQL to meeting to proof of concept, right, to mm-hmm. close. Those are kind of mm-hmm. the four big. Um, and, and I think one of the things we're probably more focused on right now versus our CAC is really just what our cost per meeting is. Um, cause we'll figure out how to close better in the yep. proof of concept phase. We'll, we'll, we'll get that, but quali- you know, getting qualified leads to convert into qualified meetings is really the name of the game for us right now. 
Um, and based on these different marketing channels, look, I mean, those and the margin, as you know, in these businesses is so significant that you yeah. can be prepared to pay 500 bucks for a meeting and not oh, yeah. that high. Right. And Hell so, yeah. um, so that's the, that's, that's generally kind of where I spend more time thinking than our true CAC. It's a little hard in a company yeah. of our stage. To, so to do you pay. have a sense of what your cost per meeting has been so far? Although, yeah, I think it's probably the notion of like 750, something like that. But is that um, largely coming from your your network and your FOC and that kind of thing? So it's maybe not the best barometer of what it's your not true a cost perfect per number. Meeting. It's really not. And you know, the game on this deal load, how much how much personality you load on that? But from a yeah. paid perspective, that number I'm giving you is from a true paid. It's okay. SEM retargeting, the software technology comparison sites, those true paid. That's kind of where um, we see the we see the thing landing. Okay. And I'm guessing you probably don't have really enough data yet to know what your LTV is. It's too early. No, it's too early. Okay. How about as, and probably churn, probably too early to even know churn. Yeah, it is. It's a part of what we're exposed on just being totally candid and learning for all of us is because we're focused on high growth tech companies. What's great is their high tech growth, their high, their their growth companies. When they stop being growth companies, you know, you potentially bear the brunt of that. Right. And so we benefit it from, from it absolutely more than it costs us today. But for example, one of our awesome companies, they just went through their first layoff, right? This is a company that mm. added 200 people last year and they just laid off 70. And that's, you know, so they're hiring plans for 20. So we've got to deal with a little bit of that, which I, w- I, I wouldn't attribute to be traditional churn in that mm-hmm. they were moving to another software. And line software is just a volume game uh, where they're not necessarily growing as rapidly. Um, but no, we don't have yet enough data to say, you know, what that, what that looks like. And we won't for another couple of quarters. So that said, I guess one of your major risks is we go through another tech bubble and funding dries up and there ain't any high growth companies. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, our, our pitch hopefully doesn't change in terms of our value. We actually think the talent you bring in gets even more important. Mm -hmm. Uh, The volume might go down and there might be some pricing pressure and that might work out differently. I don't think the value proposition changes at all. And I don't think the importance of us in the process changes, but absolutely. It's like, we're all, you know, all of us that are, sort of disrupting and leaning on other tech companies in this ecosystem to disrupt together, have some exposure Mm -hmm. um, as, as, as things, as things get, get challenged. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned uh, the importance of customer success early on. What type of systems or processes have you created thus far to ensure the highest levels of customer success for, for onboarding and so forth. Yeah. We're probably annoying people to be honest in terms of how aggressive we are right now. And, and, and look, a big part of that is you can afford to do it now. Once you have a thousand customers, it looks different and you start thinking about it differently, but we're hyper obsessed with it now. So the normal thing, the normal things, but the NPS, we started early, right? Just measuring our NPS, just even when we had 10 customers, like let's just, you know, the statistical significance is questionable, but let's at least get into the habit of, of getting a good feedback loop with our customers, right? So that's one thing that just kind of keeps us, uh, keeps us honest. Um, let me, you know, let me interrupt a, you there. Let me interrupt yeah. you if I may. How are you gathering MPS? Are you just sending them an email saying, hey, give us a score? Or is it embedded in the app somewhere? Where you no, we're doing it via, I think, SurveyMonkey or something like that. We're just doing okay. the, two, the, the standard MPS package that they have. Okay. Um, so... Um, um, the other thing that we're doing, though, pretty um, sort of systematically is when we bring them in, when we onboard them for the proof of concept phase, we set up an immediate meeting uh, after their first cross-check candidate gets completed to help them read the report. We've set up 15 days post their onboarding 
And then we established that when we launched them for their touch base to review all of their progress, right? So we have, we've gotten really clinical in terms of how we push them through our funnel, which is really a customer success function. What's been interesting about it is we're having our customer success team drop in in that sales process yeah. uh, to give them a flavor for what they're going to get on the other side. That's been working extraordinarily well. It also gives good continuity once they start working with us. We then do a, a monthly touch base um, in terms of reviewing all their candidates that come through and all that good stuff. The other thing, though, that I mentioned to you earlier is this customer advisory board that we put together that meets quarterly that also has this is a real opportunity for our customers to collaborate on, you know, things they can help us with product suggestions and that sort of thing. But we're, we're pounding it now uh, in terms of just getting them to communicate with us. How much, if any, of your customer success is dependent upon um, video based training? All of it. So Mike, how have uh, standard operating procedures or documented business processes played a role so far in um, keeping your, your, keeping the ship afloat and going in the right direction at the fastest speed possible? <laughs> um, you know, certainly um, it's pretty cool to start a company in this day and age because you can serialize more stuff easier, you know? So when you, when you use words like that, Historically, I would have thought about a big stack of documents and something overwhelming that would never have gotten looked at, right? But it is amazing how well we've been able to just calendarize things, serialize tasks, repeatable tasks, use tools that we all have to communicate more easily and stick to schedules and all that good stuff. I mean, there's frankly no excuse for someone to not be participating in a recurring thing, Mm -hmm. Uh, with all the tools that we have available and accessible to us. So I think more important, you know, as important to that is just us putting in processes in place early, sticking to them, right. Um, And ensuring and and having an expectation that everybody's participating and following in some of those, those, uh, you know, in in those consistent behaviors has been really important. I hate to say this because it's not really, I don't think where you maybe had the question going, but even for us, things like values and mission statements, we have a Slack channel where, we all call out when people have acted the reflecting our values, you know, mm-hmm. so it's a casual thing, but it just creates habits and it's not, you know, it's not a standard operating procedure per se, and it's not a documented thing, but it does keep you tied back to a system, you know, and a system mm-hmm. that we're trying to create that's repeatable. Well, plus it's a part of your culture. And it's a part of our culture. <laughs> are, are you uh, familiar with EOS or a great game of business or anything like that? Uh, I am not. Okay. EOS is Entrepreneur's Operating System. Great Game of Business was written by Jack Stack. Oh, man, probably in the 90s. He pioneered the concept of open book management. And there's a really great story behind how all that came to be. Uh, Vern Harnish has got, you know, the gazelles. There's a variety of them out there. Um, And you may or may not find that one or more of them resonates with you. Sure. All right. Um, So when you talk about the... You said variety of tools that we use. What are just a couple of the tools that immediately come into your mind when you think about, well, let's create repeatable processes and document them so that make sh- so that we make sure they become a part of our day-to-day rhythm? You know, so so we have just a simple thing for us because we are remote, but we we one of our values is we're, we're remote but connected. So I'll tell you, Hangouts for us is mandatory. We do, I mean, we'll have video, we'll share video if we're sitting next to each other in the same office even, right? So it's just mm-hmm. become that ingrained in our, life as a repeatable process. So we use Google Hangouts for that. I mentioned to you earlier, Slack is dominating our, our, our environment. <laughs> we're making phone calls on Slack. We're doing yeah. video shares on Slack. We're doing document sharing on Slack. 
So that has also become an integral part, but really just anchoring around the philosophy that this remote but still connected philosophy for us is really important. Um, looking at each other in the eye, even though we're you know two thousand yeah. miles apart or whatever it is, that that is just really important to us, and that's the tool that we've that we've uh, that we found ourselves using. Um, yeah, I've been all of my companies are remote, and I've been you know doing this the online conferences now as a regular part of my communication for years, and every once in a while I'm I'm forced into what I call an old school phone call because the person on the other end you know for whatever reason doesn't want to be on camera. And I literally feel like I'm going, you know, with one one arm tied behind my back because I can't I can't see what their face is doing, which is a huge part of communication, you know. And and I just can't imagine not having the convenience of being able to do what you and I are doing right now uh, to to communicate and with my team and customers. I know it's a nuance. I I, uh, I agree with you completely. <clears throat> All right. So in your remind me the number of employees you have. 16. 16. Uh, how do they divide between um, engineering and sales and marketing and whatever else might be a significant? So call it 10 engineering, five sales and mark with customer success in the sales and marketing bucket and one kind of in the catch-all finance HRE stuff. Admin okay. stuff. And your hiring pace right now is how quick? Um, you know, I think our plan for end of Q1 is probably 25. Yeah. Um, one thing that I am personally doing a little differently is we're not capitally constrained, but I am probably more disciplined in this and getting this right in terms of uh, integrating hires, being a little more patient with that. Um, I, I think I have learned this over time. That is just filling seats doesn't necessarily drive the value that we mm-hmm. need to create. And I would, I'm finding myself spending more time mentoring and getting people fully immersed. And I'm willing to do that, you know, giving mm-hmm. more hours of my week to ensure that my next, my last hire is, going to ramp up their productivity versus trying to fill another couple of seats. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of the comes with wisdom, I think mm-hmm. um, for good or ill. Uh, but that's our, that's our approach. So we're, we're, we're being, we're being pretty paced on that. And how are you generating leads? Let's talk about engineering. Cause obviously in the Valley, that's the biggest challenge is attracting engineers. There's a lot of competition to say the least. Um, what are you doing to generate your candidate leads? Yeah, so we have a really easy solution for Valley engineers, and that's to put your engineering in Buenos Aires, yep. so, <laughs> which has just been awesome for us. So my co-founder had a prior company, and he had a team that he had used there for four years. When we started this company, he called them all and said, hey, quit all your jobs. I'm hiring you. We're going to go change the world. And so we have a team down there. we got two offices in Buenos Aires. We are riding that wave happily. These are awesome guys. They're full-time employees of ours. Um, and that's how we're, that's how we're growing. And that's full, full stack development, UI, some of that type of stuff. We're not, we can't get there with sort of data, you know, uh, machine learning data. That's going to have to be more localized, but that's how we're dealing with the engineering side. Um, uh, just for whatever it's worth, we're probably paying 40 cents on the dollar. That was going to be my next question fully yeah. loaded. What's it cost? So 40 cents is a pretty like, whopping savings. It's awesome. And they're great. And the communication is good. The hours are good. It's not, you know, I've tried this in other parts of the, uh, of the world in my career. This is far and away uh, a whole different deal. And one thing I will say too, these guys are equitized. They're, you know, they're part of the company. So it's not your, you know, I off, you know, I offshored this thing to some office in the middle of nowhere that, yeah. you know, they don't have skin in the game. So we're riding that, we're riding that wave on the engineering side. We've, take, we've taken the same approach. I, I looked recently, a competitor has already burned through 2 million of, of fund, of raise rather, We've bootstrapped um, and our ARR is higher than theirs. And, and largely we were able to do that because it's been all overseas, overseas engineers. Isn't that awesome? 
Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, and the key is you got to have someone at the point who can manage them. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's yeah. that simple. And Ask my know, co-founder. That's same with me. That's the benefit of the luxury I have. Yeah. Um, that's the other great word of wisdom is get a co-founder that can, that can deal with all of that for you. Oh, yeah. There's, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be a, a software co-founder without right. my other co-founder. He's the right. CTO. He's, he's the guy that deals with all the ones and the zeros and the engineers and the keyboards that make all of that happen. Yeah. And there's no way. Yeah, There's just cool. no way we'd be where we're at without him. That's cool. Um, what about your interview process? Do you have anything, do you think, that is noteworthy in your interview interview process, Either be it either for an engineer or for someone on the sales and marketing side? Absolutely. I mean, this is our product. So, and, and now we haven't spent a ton of time on the it. But well, the, yeah, I mean, the, well, the checking well, references well, part, I'm sure, is pretty noteworthy. Right. Uh, but what's cool about it, so when we entered this space, what we found is companies perfunctory were doing kind of the reference check, last stage of the hiring process, post-offer, kind of pre-start, kind of like when they would do a criminal check. And we've always been banging the table saying, no, you got to do this further up because this can impact your entire hiring process. Mm -hmm. And some of our more innovative companies are now, even like an Upwork is doing this post phone screen pre-first interview. Very cool. So that's what we did. So before you're even going to get an interview with us, we're going to run your cross-check. And it is an awesome interviewing tool because you cut through all the noise. I don't have to spend time talking about things that I don't need to spend time talking about. But I have these great insights into you, maybe what your blind spots are, your strengths, your weaknesses, and it just sets up for a much more powerful interview. It frankly also gets you comfortable if you're going to come work here with our tool uh, that says, look, I don't, if, if you're afraid of this, you shouldn't be working here, right? So it's a, it's a great screen out process, but it really is um, awesome in terms of making the interview itself a more and more productive. I'll give you one little thing on a sales guy I was looking at hiring. Great guy. Everybody loved him. But on the cross check, he was low rated as a closer and low rated as a as sort of a pipeline management individual. Ooh. Really successful guy. Great career. People loved him. He was one of the he's better suited in a kind of leadership ish role at a more yep. established company. Yep. And for us getting that insight and it would have been hard to get to that insight any other way. Yeah. But that was something we were able to flesh out early in the process. So we love our tool from that perspective. Um, super, super effective. We use Lever as our ATS, who's also a partner of ours. You know, I think I think that uh, that's great from just an efficiency perspective. But really, um, you know, if we use our own stuff on that question, so it feels like a paid paid promotion, an unpaid promotion. Excuse me. All right. So here's my dumb question: Lever is your ATS? I don't know what that is. Lever uh, applicant tracking system. So um, they're really good for early stage companies. It's just the system you use internally to manage your. Uh, okay. talent from the time they kind of enter your your world through to when they're hired uh, there's a whole bunch of there's a big war in that space as you could imagine yeah big guys like workday and oracle have been the, the, the big players and these are the, sort of the disruptors in that space for guys like uh, lever and greenhouse and those types of companies do you happen to uh sort of self-interested question here is your service available on an a la carte basis for you know because we're a bootstrap company i don't i don't know how many people i'm going to hire this year and i watch my nickels like their dollar bills so yeah. I don't want to sign into a subscription for with an unknown frequency of hiring. Can I simply buy them as I need them? Yeah, it's not today. And I mean, we do friendlies all the time, right? Where we have mm -hmm. friends, of, you know, the accounts where look, we'll let you give it a run and see what you think. It is interesting for us. We did test a freemium version of our model to try and deal with some of those opportunities. We turned that off 
Um, so a limited feature free version. Um, and so that was an interesting experience. And I, I, I laugh about it because Glenn Solomon from GGV is like, it's not going to work. Don't waste our time. You know, nine out of 10 of our companies that try premium, it just, it's just not a good play. It's good for some things, but it's just not what we're doing here. So yep. we weren't really able to make that work, but we would, we absolutely will selectively choose early stage companies and let them give it a whirl and kind of grow with them when they're ready to grow into it. Exactly. So uh, we'd love to, we'd love to help you guys out. All right. Uh, we have, I have only eight minutes left, so we're going to have to draw to a closer pretty quickly. Let's talk about employee retention. Do you, do you have anything there that you can share? You haven't been around that long, so maybe it's no. not been an issue yet. No, it's interesting. I was talking with one of our clients yesterday about their retention. We're, we're working on something really cool. We just brought on a, a PhD from Georgetown, a guy named Brooks Holtum to build out a predictive, excuse me, a predictive retention index. What we're trying to get to with CrossCheck is take our pre-hire data, map it with, with post-hire data, tenure, and what type of performer they were. So mm-hmm. once we have a, a company tuned in the cross-check system, we can actually predict for you how long this person is likely going to stay or get within the bounds of reasonableness. And Nicole on my team said, and we were talking through this, because why don't we just use ourselves as an example? We've had 100% retention. We've never lost anybody. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know that you get that credit. So anyway, today we're there, but you know, talk to me in three months. I'm sure stuff happens. Life's change. Yep, indeed. My guest has been Mike Simmons, and the company is CrossCheck, and they are an innovative provider for fixing a, or not not fixing, solving a very critical problem in the hiring process. Go check them out. To get to the show notes for today's episode, go to brightideas.co slash 314. If you enjoyed this episode, I have two small but very important requests. Number one, help another another entrepreneur discover all of the golden nuggets by sharing this episode on your social profiles or wherever else you would like to. And then number two, if you would take a moment and head on over to the bright, uh, to rather to the iTunes store and leave us a five-star rating along with your comments, man, oh man, I would be eternally grateful for that. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for listening to the Bright, bright Ideas, Ideas Podcast. Podcast. Check us out on the web at brightideas.co. All right, show's over. I'm tired.